Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com slash podcast. All right, let's get started. Let's get right into some highly effective, highly detailed developer relations strategies. I'm talking to Owen Boylan, the CTO of Evervault, a startup that does encryption as a service. The challenge that they have is getting developers to use a pretty complex API. It's not just your usual RESTful CRUD API to manipulate data. We're talking about encrypting, we're talking about edge functions, all sorts of fun stuff. One of the things that they have discovered, sort of by accident, is the effectiveness of having private Slack channels per client. And as a user of Evervault systems, in the service of one of our clients, unbanks.app, I've learned to really appreciate this uh, way of supporting developers who are using your systems. We also talk a little bit about their really excellent documentation flow and how that is such a critical part of developer relations. All right, let's get into it. Owen, welcome to the VoxGig podcast. It is great to have you on. Um, Tell us all about Evervault, your startup. And you guys have a couple of interesting challenges because you're not just a run-of-the-mill REST API. You do some fairly complex stuff. Um, Yeah, I think that's a good summary. Um, Thanks for having me first. Um, Yeah, Evervault is... Um, an encryption service for developers. Um, We provide um, tools that simplify how you encrypt data. Um, Some of the interesting parts of uh, Evervault are specifically around how we actually integrate our encryption into the developer's stack, and then how we simplify all the problems that come about from when you encrypt data. So if you've ever used encryption before, the half of the problem is getting the encryption scheme right getting it set up correctly making sure it's fundamentally sound and then the other part is that you're now sending around encrypted data around your well your infrastructure your app's business logic there's you know larger strings that are being stored in your database than there previously were so alleviating all of those problems that come about from encrypting data is the kind of second half of what evervault does awesome it's uh the, the key thing here, which is something I didn't get when we first spoke, is the whole point of what you guys do is that uh, when I'm storing sensitive data in my system, and, and we experienced this with, with our mutual client, uh, unbanks.app, uh, uh, who are really cool, by the way, check them out. Um, yep. The whole point is the you, I, as the developer, uh, or, or the, the company that I work for, I never want to actually deal with the plain text, the unencrypted data. I want to. I'm using you as a service provider. I only ever want to see mm-hmm. encrypted data. And then you have this issue where, of course, I have to do some sort of processing on the data. And um, you provide edge functions to do that, which is really cool. Um, but the whole thing sums together to an essential service that lets you deal with things like uh, sensitive personal information, financial information, that type of stuff. But it's not as simple as just calling a REST API to get some data and doing stuff done. So you have this huge challenge around 
developer relations and onboarding and getting people to even understand the basic concepts. Um, mm -hmm. Let's maybe take a, a, a historical view of this, right? So take us through the conception of Evervault right from the right from the beginning in terms of conceiving of the problem, and then uh, not mm -hmm. so much the startup business story, but the story of how you worked out how to engage with developers. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I guess the the initial kind of problem that Evervault tried to address, address was was data breaches. And when we looked conceptually at the problem and you look at how data breaches occur, there's two main um, ways that that happens. Usually it's either through social engineering um, by one of your employees, clicks on an email, um, or you know, picks up a USB device, and then your you know your your infrastructure is compromised, or there's vulnerabilities. And if you look at, there's lots of tools for dealing with this, but if you look at vulnerabilities in particular, because of the amount of zero days that are out there right now, it's almost impossible to fully protect yourself um, from vulnerabilities. So the next thing that we looked at was, okay, what about the data itself, and could you obfuscate that data? Could you anonymize it and then we looked at encryption um as another alternative to that so the philosophy behind evervault is that if you do have a data breach and your data is encrypted that data is useless to the attacker um so under that model evervault stores the keys and you store the data um which means that in the event of a data breach you have to both compromise the customer and Evervault itself. So it increases the, say, the the layers of, of the onion, which is a common um, analogy that's used in security. Um, if we kind of, yeah, step back from that. Oh, sorry, I've, I've lost my train of thought there, Richard. Do you want to repeat what you just said? We're talking about you, you guys. Basically, what you're doing is like the defense in depth, right? Because yeah, it has to compromise both your client and you. Yeah, so the i guess one of the interesting things you said when you when you started was that um plaintiff's data doesn't arrive in your infrastructure which was the which is the differentiator between evervault and what exists already so there's plenty of um ways of doing encryption right now so you can do it at the field, field level with your database there's cloud hsms there's things like hashicorp vault the common problem with them though is that the keys are also stored in your infrastructure which means that if there is um, a vulnerability, um, some remote code execution, or an attacker gets you know actual access to your systems, there's a highly like uh, high likelihood they could compromise both the key and the data itself, which can make some of these in, uh, existing encryption systems almost redundant. Yeah, exactly. Um, the nice thing about your system, right? So I'm I'm, I'm a developer who uses your system, is that we never go near the keys, right? It's really funny in your API. There's a there's a um, there's an encrypt method, right? But mm -hmm. there's no decrypt method. Yeah, I, I looked at your API the first time. I was like, what? Yeah, the um, yeah. When you when you as soon as you bring around decrypt, obviously that involves a key. Um, and if you yeah, if you need to expose the key to the developer, then you've kind of ended up back to the problem that you're trying to solve again. Is that now the developer has both the encrypted data and the keys. Um, which kind of defeats the point of our revolt. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so, I mean, you guys could do everything right in terms of normal developer relations, you know, have lovely documentation and code examples and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's Those are just hygiene factors these days. Um, but how have you addressed this issue or how have you, how did it go as you went from the, the start of the company and you started engaging with developers and you started trying to explain this? Um, so when we actually that and, and yeah, how do you address getting that idea into people's heads? Um, when we actually started, um, we actually started on the, we had a very simple SDK that allowed, allowed you to actually encrypt, which is actually in, in the browser. Um, and allowed you to encrypt data that was coming out of forms. And then we would use this encrypted data in our own applications and then slowly discovered, okay, now that you have all this encrypted data, the decryption part is the next kind of challenge that you have to solve. The problem with that is that it involves the keys again. Where are you going to do that decryption? Um, and then that evolved into the creation of our product, which is cages, um, which allow you to send that encrypted data into a secure processing environment and actually decrypt it. Um, that's how the product evolved conceptually. But the main problem that we had then was trying to explain to developers how you would take code that exists in their backend API, transplant it into Evervault's systems, and then interact with it over HTTP. Um, that was quite a challenge and was a large um, blocker to adoption. What actually kind of changed it was the next product that we came up with, which is Relay, which sits in between, well, it's, it's, an, it's a proxy effectively that sits in between your client and your backend and will automatically encrypt data. Once developers were like, okay, I don't have to go around my entire, every form I have, every field in my UI and start manually putting in all these encrypt calls to an SDK, I can just set up Evervault, point my domain to it. It sends it to my backend now, and then I can literally in a UI just click what I want to encrypt. Um, that solved a lot of the initial hurdles that we have of, of onboarding developers into the product. Um, but still, it's still working on that. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm bad. So that feature came directly from feedback, or for, or perhaps not from feedback, but you were paying attention to the onboarding blockers where people got confused. Yeah. And how did you know that? Were people sending you messages saying, "I don't know how to do this bit," or were you getting feedback? You know, did you have a booth at a conference where people going, "Yeah, but I can't." Also, or we we'd actually do a lot of like sit down installations, so get your laptop, find a developer, get them to install Evervault, and then watch them as they use your SDK. Um, this is, a, I think, a pretty common technique used used by uh, companies that come out of uh, Y Combinator. But Oh, this is the um, Stripe uh, forced pair programming. Yeah, the, the Stripe installation, I think, is famous for. But like, it, it's an incredible tool for, for or an incredible um, way of finding out exactly how developers um, interact with something that you've built because you have all these built-in biases when you start building your own product. And then you assume that everything is wonderful because you've used it. And then you give it to someone who's never used it before. And then they're just, you know, they'll use it in a completely different way. They'll discover all these edge cases. The way that they write code is different to the way that you write code. The way that their system is set up is different to the way that your system is set up. Um, but when you actually just sit down with them, run through exactly what they're doing, you can learn... Uh, an insane amount of information. So what we would see then is that 
engineers would go into their application and they were just manually writing encrypt, 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 encrypt all the time for all these different places across their app. And we were like, okay, this is like literally the time to write all this code was taking too long. There was too much of a, a barrier there. It was just, it was purely um, frustration for developers. So one of the kind of interesting things about what we do is that um, encryption is something that's, it's nice to say that everyone should be doing it, but it introduces a lot of complexity. Um, so bringing down those barriers. So reducing the amount of times that you have to call a function in an SDK, um, reducing the amount of, say, um, setup that you have to do to integrate with our Relay product. Um, we optimize for that. So the least amount of touches that the developer would have to do to get something encrypted. And it's something that we track. So if you install Relay at the moment, you can literally get Relay up and going by changing a DNS record. And that's it. You can go into our UI then and start encrypting data. You don't have to um, you know, uh, call hundreds of functions and start playing with um, uh, encrypting data all over your applications. It's as simple as changing a DNS record. Yeah, having used it myself, that 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 is really nice. I and mean, it, it's interesting because looking at your documentation, there's not there's not actually a huge amount to learn. There's a very small number of methods, and with this relay thing, you just you just call the you, you call the new endpoint, which is uh, gives in the browser gives you plain text, so everything is normal. Mm -hmm. It's just a, just another GraphQL REST call, whatever. Um, and in the back end, you get gobbledygook, which is lovely encrypted ciphertext mm -hmm. and um, stored in database, whatever. Um, and uh, it's, it, it, it is nice and seamless the way that the way that that fits together. Have you stopped doing the um, sort of shoulder to shoulder pair programming? Show us how you do things, or is that still a fundamental thing that you guys do with engagements now? We've evolved it. Um, I would say now to the point where when a customer on boards with Evervault, we set up an engineer to engineer Slack channel. And then as they're going through the process, we just make ourselves available basically 24 seven to anything that they encounter, any questions that they have, if they want to jump on a call, if they want us to write some code for them, we make it clear at the beginning of the integration. We're here as almost like a personal assistant for you to integrate Evervault. Ask us, you know, there's no dumb questions. Ask us whatever you want. We're here to actually, you know, help with the integration process. Um, usually Slack right now that's, sorry. Who is on that Slack channel? Is is it a first line support or is it your senior? No, it's engineer, engineers. So usually what we do is uh, it's actually part of our on-call rota. So every week an engineer is on call at Evervault and that engineer is also responsible for uh, responding to support tickets that come in from, well, they're not support tickets. This is something that, that um, we can talk about it in a minute, but when we set up these channels, as soon as someone integrates, the on-call engineer is responsible for um, responding to any Slack messages that come in from the other company's engineering org. Um, and then they're, they might not necessarily you know have the answer, but it's their responsibility then, almost like a support agent to you know figure out exactly who's responsible for this problem and then can they get the solution out back to them as quickly as possible. Um, that's... I think one probably part of um, engineering support that's really annoys a lot of people is that everyone's familiar of the process of you go you have some problem with 
um, some tool that you're using, you create a support ticket, you get an email thread back from someone who has, you know, is basically in charge of delegating where it should go to inside their own company. A couple of days later, you get a response back. But in that time period that it's, you know, that's uh, occurred, you've already solved the problem or you figured it out or you found an issue on GitHub or something like that. But with engineer to engineer Slack channels, there's no kind of uh, way around that. Uh, it's direct communication. You get the issue or you figure out what the problem is as quickly as possible. You get the response back to the customer as quickly as possible, which in our case is the developer. Let's 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 dig into this a little bit more because it is speaking as a as a a user developer. It's a great experience. Um, so you've you've scaled the the kind of pair programming onboarding sale by moving to Slack channels, mm-hmm. and that lets you support hundreds and hundreds of customers. Um, and then you've had to scale those by developing internal processes that fit around your who's on call that type of stuff, but. Mm-hmm. You mentioned support tickets. So if a if if a query comes in, which some queries are just informational, but if a query comes in which requires a dev on your end, let's say, and that dev might be building an example or changing new release or something, how do you manage that? How do you fit that into your dev process? You have you don't have tickets. So how does that work? How do you scale it? Yeah, it's just about prioritization. So there's a clear kind of understanding amongst the engineers that the customer comes first, the developer comes first. And if it is um, an issue, basically what happens is the on-call engineer can redirect the issue to the team that's responsible for that. And then it's the team's responsibility to decide, okay, what is the problem with this? Do we need to put some time into investigating the issue? And then whatever's going on in the team right now, that issue will supersede. If it's you know releasing a new feature, um, or you know yeah, they're working on some sort of bug or or doing some sort of day to day engineering work, um, the yeah the customer issue just takes priority over what's in, already on their queue. Um, that's honestly that's that's not probably going to scale up to thousands of customers. Sure. Um, I don't think that could ever work. But right now in this stage that we're at, when your product is very early. Um, when a, a lot of these problems as well is that it's actually surprising. It's, it's always at the integration phase. So when the customer runs through the integration phase, once they get going, there's very few problems that arise after that. Right. So right. It's, very, it's a very short term, um, situation for each customer. So the, the onboarding period for Evervault right now is about three days. Um, so after that three day period, you, you, if it's in regards to a problem, there's always, you know, engineers are always asked for like, is Evervault a, a suitable way to do something? Can we use it for this use case? And um, those are more general questions that can be answered by non-engineers. But in terms of actual engineering problems, um, past the three-day period, it actually starts to calm down quite dramatically. So we've been able to scale it basically like that. Yeah, so there's a spike. Hmm. The ability to scale this very hands-on Slack channel approach, probably you you could probably scale it quite a lot um, without 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 overburdening yourselves too much. Um, are, is it is it something you guys can still manage? Do you feel that it's becoming too much, or is it is it still well within sort of normal operational uh, limits? 
right now it is definitely within operational limits it's it's also like in evervault we we call every engineer a product engineer it's kind of something that's um i think a differentiator is that the there is you know if you look at a traditional say um engineer career ladder evervault's engineering career ladder contains a entire column or you know a a column in the in the grid matrix that everyone's kind of familiar with that's specifically about products and um, because we build a developer tool for developers when we're having these initial integration discussions it it really doesn't matter on the size of the customer or what language they're using or what framework they're using we'll always discover something new and some new way to improve the product so we'll like like you said in your own experience using using evervault you got a response that evervault hadn't seen before uh, even though we talked to thousands of APIs, um, which we then had to build into the product. So a lot of, I would say like 70% of our product features come out of a lot of these early um, integration discussions with engineers. Like we'll figure out a new way that a framework works or a new way that someone's using an SDK or they're using some library that we've never heard of or, or that um, their actual deployments that they do or where they're deploying code is um, is different to some other customer that we've had. So it's, even though it might be an operational overhead, the value the value that we're getting from those conversations is so high. We want to keep it for as long as possible, and we don't want that to get lost into a ticketing system either, um, which I think is incredibly important because you have that automatic chance to ask the engineer on the other end of Slack exactly you know how their system's set up, what languages they're using, what frameworks they're using, what versions they're on, um, and you can get it instantly as opposed to going through you know weeks of email threads trying to find this stuff back, even if people do reply. Because I think a large problem with tickets is that you might not never get a response in the end. Um, so that information is lost. Yeah, it's certainly a, it's certainly a much better experience uh, from the developer side. I have seen other people using Slack channels, but they're more, uh, they're shared channels. So you're kind of fighting yeah. everybody else. And then you can't really discuss anything sensitive. You can't really get to the heart of the matter. Um, yeah, it's it's almost been replacing kind of like the Google Group style um, for yeah. like company to company communications, where there's just multiple people just trying to figure out how to integrate something. You have all the stakeholders in there, and everyone's trying to blame each other. Um, yeah, I think everyone's or well, most people would be familiar with with how those um, shared channels go. But no, these are a bit different. Direct engineer to engineer uh, channels. Is this something you came up with or was somebody else doing it and, and you kind of picked up on it? Where did the original idea? And I, I, yeah, I think we actually actually accidentally stumbled into it. I think a customer might have asked us, could they do it? Because um, previously before that, we would have our you know a support address where you could you know email directly the engineering support team or the Evervault support team, um, which back then would go directly just to the engineers. But someone then, I think, just asked us, hey, could we, you know, set up a, a channel that just where we can talk directly from our engineering team to your engineering team? And we were like, sounds like a great, you know, opportunity for us to figure out more about how your systems work. And Slack is so good for doing instant communications. It seems like a no brainer. And then from there, just every time now when a, a customer signs up to Evervault, they have the option to just create a, a shared channel. Um, with our engineering team and ask us whatever questions they like. Yeah, and off you go. Uh, and I mean, it's it's been critical to the success of the project that I worked on, which which uh, actually generated a, an interesting uh, 
an interesting little challenge. Um, so in the process of what we were working on, uh, you ended up, your SDK ended up needing to um, magically bind itself into the HTTP agent of the system we were using, the, the node system we were using. Um, because we had a dependency on other third-party SDKs where we couldn't change the, the host. Um, so that seems like something that you necessarily have to do. But my developer bones are, <laughs> are just yeah. going, oh man, that's such a bad code smell, right? Magic. You know, it's it's like it's like the, the sin of adding uh, custom methods to the string object. Uh, mm -hmm. So do that sort of thing. Um, so I, how do you deal with something like that? Because uh, it's necessary and has to be done. Um, it doesn't feel like there's another solution, but then you may lose sales over it because an architect might simply go, no way, this is this is crazy. These guys, these guys are doing crazy things. We can't have that in our system. Um, yeah. So I can kind of um that 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 feature, which is a feature of our our relay products, which is uh for all of intensive purposes, a forward proxy that will decrypt data as it leaves your infrastructure. We created the product first. So we created the proxy. And then we had the challenge of integrating into everyone's de development stacks. When we came to that challenge, one of the things we're doing, so it runs over HTTPS. Um, there's a, a part of HTTPS that does um, a proxying in the protocol itself. Um, but one of the large problems is that setting it up is quite complicated. You have to download uh, a CA cert from Evervault. You have to trust that CA cert, and then you have to send the connection over Evervault's uh, through Evervault's relay product. And um, doing that is a bit of a, a pain. Um, and when we kind, of, we kind of came to the decision, okay, how much of the magic should Evervault do, and how much should the developer do? And do developers want to be downloading CA certs, installing them in their infrastructure, configuring them, ref uh, um, refreshing them whenever they expire? And we made the decision that that's probably too much to do um, to get adoption in the in the product. So we take care of that for you automatically. Now, that the way that it works is completely language dependent because every language yeah. implements HTTPS proxying completely differently. Java, Node.js uh, implement it in two completely different ways. Because like everything else in programming or in software engineering, you read an RFC doc and it's up to you to decide how you want to implement it. Um, C Sharp, for instance, doesn't even have support for HTTPS um, proxying. So there's when we looked at the challenge that was going to, what, well, what the developers would have to do in all these different languages, we're like, okay, we can abstract away as much of this as possible to the point where you can just install the SDK, enable Relay, decide what domains you want to send in, what, what domains you want to send decrypted traffic to, and it would automatically just send it through and it would end up in your destination in a, in a decrypted state. That The timeline of that was that originally what you would actually do is install the Evervault SDK and it would automatically route all of your traffic through a relay. Yeah. Now, that broke everything. Of course. Um, <laughs> immediately, yeah. So this is one of these kind of biased things where you're like, oh, I'll work in my little, you know, local development. And then in our testing environment, say, oh, this works great. And then you install it into a customer's infrastructure and they're 
you know, their database breaks because now they're trying to, you know, put a yeah. private database connection through an external third party. Um, so I'm like, okay, this is a terrible idea. So then we slowly started to bring in feedback from developers. Okay, how much of this do you want under your own control? And we ended up in the kind of spot where it was um, where you would decide, okay, I just want to add, I just want to send traffic to these domains, only send traffic that's going to say Stripe or Adyen. That's the only traffic I want going through Evervault. So you can configure that now through the SDK. Um, and that's kind of homogenous across all the languages. Uh, and and greatly appreciated. I, d- I don't know, do you remember in the first dot-com boom, there was an Irish company called Baltimore Technologies? I do not. Um, they were actually the first Irish unicorn on the um, London Stock Exchange, I believe. A, uh, a, a brief shining light. Um, <laughs> and you've just triggered some developer PTSD for me because I do remember using their encryption product and I do very much remember having to install local CA certs. And it was an absolute and utter nightmare. Um, yeah, it's an interesting, the way that the product works is quite interesting because it's effectively a man in the middle server, which isn't really something that everyone's familiar with a a, a reverse proxy because everyone uses reverse proxies as load balancers inside yeah. Kubernetes, wherever. Um, using a forward proxy, you're probably a developer's only experience with a, fu- a full like HTTP forward proxy is probably something like a web filter that's installed by the IT department. Or if they're pen testers, it's when they're running pen tests. It's not something that you interact with uh, very frequently at all. Um, so one of the challenges of, well, with Evervault and what we're trying to still do with now is that some of the stuff that we've done is conceptually unfamiliar to developers. So when we send this traffic out through a relay from your infrastructure, because that's not something that developers are familiar with going that way, you know, forward out of your infrastructure, not reverse coming in. They're like, what's happening here? How is How does this work? What is this magic? But then if you actually delve under the hood, read the documentation, like, oh, this is actually quite, this is pretty simple. It's just whatever domain I put into the SDK, it will do a forward HTTPS proxy to that location and do a, a TLS man in the middle. Um, but yeah, if you just install the SDK and it just happens, everyone loses their mind. <laughs> um, so bringing in more context to the developer about what's actually happening is something that we've been working on over the last, say, like six months. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, def- definitely the the definitely the, the the experience and how you do the traceability and all that sort of stuff is is absolutely key. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the more traditional side of developer relations. So do you guys do all the traditional stuff as well? Do you go to conferences? Do you do blog posts? Um, speak at meetups? How is yeah, that? We do. You? Where does that fit into your kind of strategy, developer relations strategy? So, yeah, that's what we have been doing, I'd say, since the conception of Evervault. Um, but it's hard to get noticed, I'd say, in the noise. Um, so we've been more careful about where what conferences we go to, which ones make sense for Evervault, what stuff are we, you know, um where are the developers that that would be most interested in, in Evervault? What conferences are they going to be going to? So if you're dealing 
if you're using Evervault as a as a product, you're more than likely and doing something with sensitive data. There's some conferences out there that are you know specific to say health data. So there's health in uh, Las Vegas next week, which I think is the largest health tech conference. Um, and then there's all the open banking conferences. So making yourself as building Evervault brand in those those um, conferences is has been an approach that we've taken as opposed to just kind of going wild across um you know everything that we could possibly go to because uh, there is a, a point of you know diminishing returns and they are quite expensive so you've got to be you know uh careful about about how you actually approach that and then the other thing that we've been doing is um for hiring it's actually quite important so evervault is i think about now at this stage maybe 70 percent of our stack is written in rust um which wow sexy yeah yeah well it's interesting so basically because of the low level systems that evervault interacts with and because of the encryption we ended up working with a lot of c libraries and we ended up having to interact with the kernel quite a bit so we were initially when we were creating relay relay is underpinned by confidential computing and to actually interact with these trusted execution environments and um, you have to go down to the quite a low level and one of the decisions we made was like okay we're not gonna you know write all this low level code in c or c plus plus we didn't at the time have any experts we just thought that'd be a bad idea rust had kind of just kind of it was getting more mature this is probably about two and a half years ago um so like okay we'll we'll try rust one of the problems we did have though immediately was that no one in ireland knew anything about rust um there was i think a developer meetup with five or six people in dublin uh and that was it that was the extent of the kind of rust experience yeah um so then now what we do is we sponsor the rust meetup we give talks at the rust meetup and then that's help you know well, attract talent basically um developers to their revolt as well i think that's an, an interesting aspect of developer relations that um a lot of people don't it doesn't get much emphasis but uh, not only does it help you sell your product but it's a, a huge benefit to recruiting uh, oh massive yeah almost I, I, important, yeah. Right? to to differentiate yourself against like obviously we've been through a massive tech hype cycle over the last few years and if you're a smaller company getting your brand out there so that developers know who you are um, so when you're, you know, if someone reaches out to them from Evervault, they already know who Evervault is. They've been to the website. They understand the products. They understand that we're working with Rust and encryption and some, you know, uh, quite interesting things. Um, getting that out there and, you know, in the kind of large Dublin tech community is quite important. As, as it's, it's helped us massively. And do you guys, um, do you contribute to uh, some of the open source Community around Rust libraries, that type of stuff. Yeah, so that's one of the biggest problems on on GitHub projects, that type of thing. Yeah, so there's like a few that we sponsor um, that we don't use, um, which is primarily because we use Rust. So there's probably the most popular open source crypto libraries, Libsodium, which is written in C plus plus. So Evervault sponsors that um, to help the devs maintain that, just as more of a community effort to show you know we do actually do care, even though you. Libsodian has nothing to do with Evervault. It's the most popular used encryption open source library out there. So it's important that we, we think it's important that that 
you know, good signal, it's right? secure. Yeah, it's it's just that. Yeah, it's good signal. And then, um, other than that, then one of the problems we had originally with Rust was that uh, a lot of Rust libraries are just FFIing into C, which means that they're just wrappers around um, existing C function C libraries. A lot of them were incomplete, unmaintained. Um, so what we've been doing recently is bringing a lot of these libraries in-house, um, running through them, kind of auditing them ourselves, and then re-releasing them back as open source libraries into the community. And over the next six months, there'll be three or four um, encryption specific, but um, yeah, libraries that are that, that Evervault will be kind of maintaining themselves, which are frankly, so, some, some very helpful ones that we've um, brought into our Relay product. And uh, now that we've got them into production, we've used them um, and we, we're going to start um, breaking them off and bring them back out into the open source uh, community. I'd certainly like to have you in my supply chain, all right? There would be uh, working <laughs> in node worlds, uh, supply chain security is, is, uh, is yeah. <laughs> sort of don't, don't, yeah, that's, don't think about it. Don't think about it too hard and just hope and that, pray. That's yeah. the other 30% of our stack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, a final, a final topic, and this has been this has been really great. But a final topic, then, mm -hmm. just just close out is um, what tools do you use for uh, developer relations? I mean, obviously Slack and things like that. But you know, do you use any of the community management tools? Like uh, I don't know if you know of Orbit, Orbit.love is the website, mm -hmm. um, or for basic forum software or any of that sort of stuff. Um, no, we haven't. We haven't actually use anything to manage our say developer community outside of slack um right now i don't know we've experimented now with the idea of setting up a discord um yeah yeah or it's actually it's it's more that would be for say people developers who are interested in evervault who don't necessarily want to sign up so is at the moment there's no place um other than email where if you're interested in Evervault conceptually and you know you don't want to go down, say, a traditional sales process, sales cycle, um, that you go in and just ask some questions about how the product works. Um, biggest concern um, and there for me is just that adds again to the operational kind of engineer to engineer uh, uh, process that we have and you could end up um, getting completely swallowed. But that's, I think, our next move is, um, yeah, to go to Discord, which I think is becoming more and more popular. Um, from a lot of uh, projects. And would you consider things like, um, so one of my former business partners has an AWS consultancy, uh, fourtheorem.com they're called, and they do yeah. a weekly sort of 15 minutes um, podcast live coding chat type thing, delving into the depths of AWS APIs. Um, Is this our shout out to AWS Bytes? Absolutely right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah very familiar. Uh, it's, uh, it saves my life on a weekly basis. Yeah, um, and then uh, another former colleague of mine, uh, Matteo Galina, has a new startup. Uh, he was our, our previous guest, and uh, he does. He started doing live coding on Twitch. Mm -hmm. um, so is that something you guys would do or think about doing? Does it fit into? So We've started something similar, um, but it's a lot smaller, shorter clips. So similar to how AWS Bytes, which is just kind of small, short videos on how certain topics in AWS work, we're doing it for certain features within Evervault. So 
now when we anytime we release a feature we'll record a one two minute demo of how you'd actually use that feature we'll write some code live on the the demo and then that can be turned into a gif and put in our doc so you can always reference it or we can send it out to developers and like oh how does you know, how do we set up a relay with, uh, you know, Java or something? We just send them a short two-minute video that literally shows us quickly writing the code because it is simple enough where you can write it in two minutes and then sending that out to them and then they can reference it in the docs later on. Um, so those are something that that's what we've been doing over the last kind of like two months um, and something that we're going to continue doing because it's actually been really helpful for for developers and it cuts down the amount of support you have to do in, inside Slack and you don't have to jump on a call. You can just send someone a quick video um, and yeah, they get integrated. One final question. One final question. Uh, sure. How do you have documentation? So you have, you, you have to document your API, your code examples, all this, all this stuff. Yeah. In particular. Um, so we have a, a, a interesting process that we've, um, I think it actually came from Amazon, which is that you write the docs up for up front when you're building features. So when we're adding a new functionality to say, if we're adding some new um, scheme or we're adding a new function to an SDK, we'll actually write the documentation for the SDK first and then implement the feature afterwards. Um, if it's something, an entirely new product that involves some new concept, we'll write out the documentation, put it into preview rails, send it around to all the engineers and make sure it all makes sense. And then from there, we'll start doing the technical implementation of the feature. Um, it's working backwards uh, is is the the framework, but um, that's what we've um, been doing for documentation. And then um, we actually build all of our own documentation tooling in-house. So we made that investment about uh, about two years ago. We looked at kind of some of the more popular ones like Readwise and Gitbook mm. and decided that basically they all look the same. Um, and Evervault, we wanted to have the same branding across from our website to our app, to our docs. It was all unified. Um, and we didn't have the cost. It didn't allow us to customize it the way that we wanted. So we put the investment into um, build our own docs, which is uh, an XJS app that's backed up by Sanity, the CMS. Um, so anyone in Evervault can, if you're technical or non-technical, can edit the documentation, add new things through the Sanity CMS, head the CMS system, and then the rendering layer is all in Next.js. Lovely, lovely. Yeah, I'd, I'd be um, that idea is something I should follow in some of our own open source. Write the docs first because they never get written afterwards. Um, yeah, that's uh, yeah. Or so yeah. Or you release something and then someone finds something that's undocumented and then you realize, oh, I never wrote the docs for that. Our uh, COO Sinead Queeley would love you guys uh, <laughs> to write more docs, um, and rightly so. I think probably the, the, the more recent thing are, is that um, Stripe have released their documentation system uh, as open source. So we've been in the last, only the last two weeks, been um, doing a little tech spike into seeing how that would work because there's some very nice functionality within that. Absolutely. Oh, I'm going to check that out after this talk. Very good. <laughs> uh, oh, and thank you so much. Uh, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you. Loads of, loads of really good stuff. Um, Certainly a lot of food for thought. Um, I love the per client Slack channel thing. I think that's 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 got to become a best practice. Um, it mm. definitely it, it definitely makes a huge difference. I'll uh, I'll let you know how it scales. Yeah, that's the only. <laughs> well, you know, do things that don't scale, as they say. Alrighty.
Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgig.com slash podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgig.com slash newsletter or follow our Twitter at voxgig. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.